Today, in a very special episode of The Virtual Couch, Tony talks about his battle, his journey with ADHD. That and more coming up on The Virtual Couch. Hey, I want to read an email uh, that I received just a couple of days ago. This is a very, very real email. It says, and I I got uh, permission to read this. It says, hi, Tony. I know you might not ever read this email, but I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for all the work that you do on your podcast. I agree with what you've said on previous episodes. I feel like I really am getting free therapy. Recently started advertising betterhelp.com. And here's me uh, inserting. This is not in the email. Betterhelp.com slash virtual couch is the link that I would love for you to follow. Um, they said recently started advertising betterhelp.com. And at first I can't lie. I just skipped through the ads. And let me just say to this uh, listener, I, I hear you. I skip through the ads all the time. I really do. I, I, I get it. I totally know that. I don't feel bad if you do. Um, they said, uh, but after I heard the ads two or three times, I really started to think that maybe I would benefit from real therapy. No offense. And they did a LOL. So I did sign up using the code you gave. This is me inserting again, betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. You get 10% off your first month's uh, counseling services. And this person said it seriously has already been life-changing in only two and a half weeks. The assessment page was phenomenal, and I don't normally use that word. They put a smiley face. I've been matched up with a therapist that I already feel knows what they are talking about. And so far, we've been able to basically text a session and have an online session. I just can't say enough. And again, no offense for the difference in free therapy that I am simply listening to and real therapy that I am actively participating in. I'm sure that it feels now like you are overselling BetterHelp.com. But I thought it was important for you to know, and I get this, that all of your work putting out the podcast to enough people that you then received interest from BetterHelp and we're able to offer that on your podcast has now helped me. I'm excited about working with my therapist moving forward. Bless you for all the work you do in your podcast. If you can see me as I type this, I'm literally getting emotional. Um, oh, that one hit me a little bit. Uh, but I have hope where I had previously somewhat resigned myself to just moving forward thinking this was my lot in life. Okay, if you're still reading this, I bet your ADD is going crazy. Thank you for changing my life. My ADD is not going crazy. As a matter of fact, um, I get these these kind of emails are, uh, I don't know, it's incredible. It really is. And I'm grateful for the person who shared that and even uh, even more grateful that they are getting help. So I'll just kind of leave the, uh, the ad right there. I won't even tell you too much more about uh, about BetterHelp. But if you go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, you do get 10% off of your first months of services. And um, and uh, that's not the only email I've got I've received like that. And if you go to betterhelp.com slash reviews, uh, you'll see a ton of people that are saying similar things. Um, so visit betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. That's uh, betterhelp.com. And, and join the 500,000 people that was at last count that are taking charge of their mental health with an experienced professional. Um, again, that's betterhelp.com slash virtual couch and get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Thank you. And let's get to the show. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to episode 145 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people like you reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of turning to pornography as a coping mechanism, as a habitual pattern. If you or anybody you know is struggling to put pornography behind you once and for all, and trust me, it can be done, and done in a healthy, cup-filling, strength-based, hold-the-shame way, please head over to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome turning to pornography as a coping mechanism. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And please take a second and visit the virtual couch on Instagram. Uh, that's at virtual couch. Um, a lot of activity there. Uh, Rachel Nielsen from 3 and 30 Podcast 
who has a whole lot of followers, um, they re-ran an episode on talking to teenagers and teaching them, uh, or, or it's, it has to do with empathy and, and hearing them. And uh, she posted on there, and so a lot of a uh, lot of activity on Instagram, which I'm very grateful for her posting, reposting that episode. And you can also now find the Virtual Couch page on Facebook, and there's always the Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist page. And last but not least, please stop by TonyOverbay.com and sign up there to find out more about a lot of really exciting programs and things, including um, a book that is coming very soon. So let's get to the episode. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm uh, I almost feel like nervous, and why? Uh, because I am going to talk about something that is is real to me, and uh, it's something that is kind of changed my life. The uh, the awareness around what I'm going to talk about today, and that is I'm going to talk about ADHD in adults. And I want you to know this is essentially going to be somewhat of a reaction video, a reaction audio, a reaction podcast, because I've gone to um, I have looked for I've looked at so much data on how to present my own ADHD story. And I've gone to helpguide.org and helpguide.org has a, uh, a section on ADHD in adults. And this section is, uh, was put together by, um, authors, Melinda Smith and Robert Seagal. Uh, and it was last updated in June of 2019. So I want to go over, this is one of the best ones I found that just kind of talks about ADHD in general. And I also want you to know that, uh, I have had Um, I reached out to a couple of professionals. There's one that I really wanted to get on my show, and he was interacting with me back and forth, and he's kind of uh, ghosting me, as the kids say. So I really do want to get uh, an expert on here who just deals with this on a daily basis and not just hear my story, and I am going to do that. And there's a couple of other people that have expressed interest in coming on, so I'm going to do an episode on that too. I really anticipated doing basically like an ADHD week because I believe that even this episode I'm about to do, I might need to break this in two. So let's jump in here and just kind of understand ADHD or ADD in adults. And first of all, um, ADHD, which was previously known as ADD, attention deficit disorder. So now ADHD is the, the kind of the blanket diagnosis. It's adult, um, (laughs) See, my ADD just kicked in right there. It's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And then ADD is just attention deficit disorder, which is a subtype of ADHD. So I'm still stuck in this world of referring to this as ADD. So I hope you'll just forgive me up front that I may refer to ADD and ADHD uh, interchangeably, although there is a difference there, and we'll talk about that as well. So again, going from helpguide.org, it, it talks. It says ADHD is not just a childhood problem, and learn what the signs and symptoms of adult ADHD look like and what you can do about it. And and so it, some of the hallmarks of ADHD are things where you are, you know, it, life is it can be hectic for anybody. And but if you find yourself constantly late or disorganized or forgetful or overwhelmed by your responsibilities, um, then the authors say that you may have ADHD, previously known as ADD. ADHD affects many adults and its wide variety of frustrating symptoms can hinder everything from your relationships to your career. And, uh, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. The career part is something that I see. I see often in my practice, and I'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a moment. Um, but, uh, but the article says, while scientists aren't exactly sure what causes ADHD, and that is, I found that universally across the board, they think it's likely a combo of genes, environment, and slight differences in how the brain is hardwired. So if you were diagnosed with childhood ADHD or ADD, chances are you've carried over some symptoms into adulthood. And I know that when I went and was did my own assessments, 
that was a pretty big component of did you have ADHD or were you diagnosed with ADHD as a child? And I wasn't. And when I look back on, you know, quote, symptoms, um, I'm, I'm very confident that I had the symptoms. But a lot of times we kind of get by with these symptoms, depending on your family dynamic. And a lot of people find very unique ways to mask or cope with ADHD. I have always been, surprise, a very uh, excitable guy. Um, I, I, when I, I've, spo- I've spoke to audiences for 25 plus years and uh, I get really, really excited. It, nothing gives me more of a, you know, I feel like I'm in my element is when I'm speaking to a crowd. And I now know that that is because that gives my brain a very, very nice dopamine rush. And I just feel, I feel focused in that moment. And I can be up in front of a crowd and I can just go from left to right of the stage and, and, Um, stick to my script and then go off on a tangent. And I've just done that so many times. And I realize now that that can look like a guy who really enjoys speaking. But in reality, it is my ADHD just unleashed. So um, it often goes through, you often goes unrecognized throughout childhood. And uh, the article says this was especially common in the past. And I think this is a good point because very few people were aware of it. And and I'm going to say some things. I'm going to throw down my ADHD card on the table here and say some things uh, a little bit out of humor, but that may be offensive. And so I apologize if that's the case. But when I look back on ADHD, I think of a Saturday Night Live skit where there was a, a character that Mike Myers played, and they basically had him tied to a jungle gym. And uh, I think he had chocolate around his mouth, and he was just constantly running off and you know getting uh, shorted by this leash that he was on. And so in my mind, that's that's ADHD guy. You know, it's the, when you're at Disneyland and they've got a little kid on a leash. I always felt like that's ADHD. There's no way that I could have uh, ADHD. Um, but, but now that more people are kind of recognizing the, the symptoms, uh, they're identifying the issues, um, in the past, this was labeled as more of uh, maybe a dreamer or a goof-off or a slacker or a troublemaker or even just a bad student. Um, and uh, the article goes on to say, alternatively, you might have been able to compensate for the symptoms of ADHD when you were young, only to run into problems as your responsibilities increased as an adult. And here's where things got real for me. The more balls you're now trying to keep in the air, pursuing a career, raising a family, running a household the greater the demand on your abilities to organize, focus, and remain calm. This can be challenging for anybody, but if you have ADHD, it can feel downright impossible. And uh, they go on to say that the good news is, no matter how overwhelming it feels, the challenges of attention deficit disorder are beatable. With education, support, and a little creativity, you can learn to manage the symptoms of adult ADHD, even turning some of your weaknesses into strengths, and it's never too late to turn the difficulties of adult ADHD around and start succeeding on your own terms. So let me talk about that. A lot of balls in the air. So where things really happened for me is I was a good decade into my career. So, um, and a decade into my, uh, therapy career. And if, uh, if you've heard me talk about this in previous podcasts, I spent a decade, a full decade in the software industry and, and in the software industry, um, I, I just never quite felt a passion and I would try to find ways to, to stay engaged in that world. I would try to write, I would, I would talk to customers. I traveled a lot and I now realize in hindsight that that travel was probably what kind of kept my brain occupied. Um, my territory was the world. I went to Japan two or three times a year. We would do trade shows over in Europe and I've been in Russia and China and these places. And so I think that the travel itself kind of scratched that itch, but, uh, but I just was so dissatisfied with my career in general. And, uh, and that would just lead to a lot of feelings of self doubt. 
um, which is part of why I decided to go back to school and get my master's in counseling and start to follow this path that I am so grateful that I followed now. But but even then, once I became a therapist, I started doing therapy more part time um, because when I left the software industry, I started my own computer hardware company selling these disk duplicators to the computer forensic world. A whole other story, but still just not feeling passionate about uh, about my work there. So when I look back on that at this time, I did a lot of different things. I had a newspaper column for about a decade. I wrote a humor column in a local paper. Um, I, I taught uh, an early morning kind of Bible study or seminary class at my church for seven years and, uh, you know, tried to be the world's greatest dad, tried to have four kids. Um, I was working from home a lot and tried to hit every kid activity in the world, every every uh, uh, what are those things called when they go to the award ceremonies and they would get something for attendance or, you know, good reader or that sort of thing. And, and I realized I was just keeping myself occupied. But when it came to actually working, um, I didn't work as hard now, I realize, as I could have because my mind just constantly was off on what, what's next, what's next, what, what, you know, what's next. And, and so I started a variety of companies. I mean, I started a couple of different technology companies. I wrote. I've got lot, a lot of unfinished manuscripts of books that I had thought that I would write, that I would feel passionate about, and then just kind of run out of gas. Um, man, the newspaper column was uh, was a good and a bad thing. I can't tell you how many columns I started that I never finished. And here becomes the pattern, that starting and not finishing. Uh, due to a whole different set of circumstances, the, the technology um, thing started to kind of dissipate and, uh, and the therapy practice started to be more of what I needed to turn to as a source of income. Now, at the same time, I also had part of a, I owned part of a shaving cream company. I owned part of a nuts and bolts company. So here I was as a therapist. I'm trying to see clients. I've still got part of my disc duplicator company, part of this nut and bolt company, part of a shaving cream company. Um, I've got about three or four books that are in any stage of trying to write them. And, uh, and then I, then I started, uh, really focusing on my practice, which then was requiring a, um, a website. And I had filmed all the videos for my path back recovery program. And I had been sitting on them for a year. I did, I didn't, you know, I spent money on these things and hadn't done anything with them for a year. And, and I also wanted to do a podcast and I bought the equipment for the podcast. Here we are episode 145. So it's been going now for a couple of years, but I bought all the, the equipment a year to a year and a half before I even started the podcast. So that was a time that was pretty rough. And the more clients that I saw, I started to get a lot of these um, executives. And, and I'll just say most of them were men. And, and I, I had one or two that were really struggling with ADHD. They looked so successful on the outside, but they were doing the same thing. They were in a position where, again, they were making money, they looked successful, but they, they were good at starting things and not finishing. And sometimes in the corporate environment, that can be looked at as, a, as an entrepreneur, as somebody with a lot of gumption, go get them. And the good news about the corporate environment is that person can often have a finisher, a closer, someone in their office that gets things done. So here I was on the outside and I'm, I'm at this point, I mean, I'm a year without having this path back program done. And, uh, and I'm not quite putting everything that I want to put into all of the other ventures that I'm doing. And it starts to get depressing. And I really started to think that maybe I'm starting to experience some signs of depression. And so I'm meeting with clients and I'm hearing these experiences with depression and anxiety. And, uh, and I really am starting to think, man, maybe I need to get some medication for depression. Uh, you know, I'd really started to do a nice mindfulness practice that was helping a lot. Um, the ultra running part, you know, that's my happy place. I, as I often say, 
if I didn't, if I went a day or two without running, then I was fatter, shorter, balder, or worse husband, father, therapist, that sort of thing. So I had these ways to kind of get me by and cope, and I was still trying to be the world's greatest dad and husband, and uh, and just all of these these balls that were up in the air. And I I remember very specifically, I had a client who was. Uh, they, they invited me to be a part of a experience with them with a, a very professional ADHD coach. Matter of fact, I should get that guy on here. And I remember sitting in a session and I did, I talked to this person and, uh, and I said, Hey, I'm going to mention this. And I just want you to know that, uh, I'll keep everything, uh, confidential, but I thought this was a pretty significant point for me. But I remember the person, we were on a conference call, we were in my office and we're on a conference call with this ADHD coach. And as he is just going over all of these things that my client is most likely feeling, I found myself just full of transference. I found myself just sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, that's me. And almost to the point where I've made this story up in my brain where when the, the coach, the ADHD coach had asked a question about, you know, is that, is that right? Is that how you're feeling? And I, and I remember answer, I answered for the client, I'm like, yeah. Uh, and I was like, uh, yes, that's how he's feeling. But inside I thought, holy cow, that's me. And, and, and you know, I really do need to take a look at uh, if, if I have ADHD. And I have since learned a lot about untreated ADHD really does manifest itself with a lot of symptoms of depression because we constantly feel like those with ADHD, you feel like you're just not enough or you're just not able to get things done. And I cannot tell you how many times I hear in sessions, and I would say the same thing of where I'm not getting all the things done that I need. And I would just say, okay, I just... I just got to I just got to buckle down. I just got to try harder. And I remember when I was uh, seeing clients at that time and I would think, OK, you know, sounds good. You just need to try harder. So what do we got to do to try harder? But then I, I remember having this feeling of, man, I, I, I know what this person's saying. I mean, how long have I been saying I just need to try harder? So so here's a couple of funny things, I think, at this point. I had a friend of mine who uh, who had been uh, also diagnosed with ADHD, and this friend was starting to tell me of what his experience was like with taking medications, and he said it just changed his world. I also had a doctor come in at that time as a client, and he too talked about getting on an ADHD medication, and he said that uh, he, he had this extremely messy desk, and he just talked about all of a sudden he just felt like, you know, he said, I can't describe it, but I just, I, I, could, I could just sit there and clean my desk, and it all made sense. And I remember just thinking, man, okay, I got to do something about this because I've got all these balls in the air. I'm not finishing any of them. And I just I remember looking over at my desk literally at that moment thinking, I, that, that, is my, that is my world. That is my life. So I, I had a friend telling me what his experience was with ADHD medication. And he was talking about the fact that he wished he would have got his diagnosis a long time ago. And so I thought it is time for me to get vulnerable and uh, and jump in there and try to get uh, to see if I really do have ADHD and if medication could help or if there's other things that could help. I remember one of the stories my brain was telling me for a long time was that I didn't want um, I didn't want to I didn't want it on my record that I had uh, done an ADHD assessment or or heaven forbid if I started taking ADHD medication because you know what would people think and I and I went through that for a long time and I hear clients talk about that often but I have to tell you spoiler alert that I don't care anymore. I mean, I, because I have been so um, in a different place, so much more productive, and this is me. I mean, it's, it's, it is who I am. If somebody has a problem or they don't want to come see me or they don't want me to come talk to them because I take ADHD medication or I went through a formal assessment to get a diagnosis of an ADHD, then they are welcome to have that opinion, and that is okay. As a matter of fact, I have a lot of empathy for them because there's most likely some insecurities there or there's some... Uh, there's some fear there. There's some worry there. And that's fine because for me, man, I, I, I am, I am in such a, uh, I'm on fire. I'm in such a good place now because I dealt with 
this ADHD concept. So the the assessment, it was it was funny. I have a insurance called Kaiser out here in California, if anybody's familiar with that. And it's a very large system. And so I found out about what the process was like. Um, and what the process was like was I had to go in and get just a um, an assessment from another therapist, a fellow licensed marriage and family therapist. So I went in and I just kind of opened up to the woman in the assessment. And I just said, you know, I'm, I am 99% sure that this is what I have. And, uh, and I just got to deal with it. And she said, okay, well, I still have to go through the, the assessment. And I remember very well, she starts talking me, taking me through an assessment, a lot of different questions. And, and I remember twice during the assessment, even she would ask me a question, I would start talking and then I would talk again and it would take me on to another subject and another thing. And then I remember another thing. And I remember saying at one point, I kind of forgot the question. And she just said, uh, Okay, that uh, that is one of the major symptoms, you know, of ADHD. You're kind of just rambling. And so I remember thinking, okay, interesting. And and then, you know, I just there were certain things that did not jive. Um, There were a lot of things about, you know, do you have a hard time taking turns when turn taking is necessary or do you finish other people's sentences or that sort of thing? And so I didn't line up with all of the uh, category characteristics or symptoms of ADHD. And I think that's important to note. Because I think that if our brain is afraid of, of getting a diagnosis or then having to kind of be out there or vulnerable or go to a class about ADHD, then I think we're looking for the things that make us that that means that, that we're not, you know, that we don't have ADHD. So we might find one of those things and say, OK, there you go. See, I'm not that I don't have that. And so but I remember there were there were certainly questions that didn't uh, that didn't jive um, and that was fine. And so I just was going to go in and be as honest and authentic as I could. So apparently I passed that first assessment with flying colors. Uh, they I, I was uh, I scored very high on an ADHD assessment scale. And uh, and I think in maybe um, part two of this episode, I'll, I'll give that scale and go through that as well. But but I remember feeling kind of like, OK, here we go. You know, now uh, now that assessment is out there and it's in the it's in my medical files. And uh, so I'm committed. So the next step was going to be to take a psychological evaluation, which was going to be 200 questions. And I believe uh, I was going to have two hours to uh, to finish it. And I thought this was really funny, too. So I left that assessment on a Wednesday. And uh, by that Wednesday afternoon, I received an email from from Kaiser and it said, you are, you know, you can come take your assessment on Monday from this time to this time. So I was ecstatic. I cleared my schedule. I, I canceled some clients. I was so excited. I go in to the testing facility and I show up and they say, um, man, bad news. I mean, it is Monday, but did you look at the date? And uh, it was just ironic that I was going in there for an ADHD assessment. And I had just looked at a time and a day and just made a bunch of assumptions. And so it was actually the test was in six weeks from that day. And I, I was I tried. I just is there any way I can just get in and take the assessment? And I couldn't. So then I had to wait six weeks to uh, to kind of move forward with this ADHD diagnosis. So the six weeks came and went. As a matter of fact, I looked at paying out of pocket to get a diagnosis sooner and uh, realized that that was more of just an impulse as well. And so I came back and I took the ADHD assessment and it was 200 questions. And I remember it took me about 20, 25 minutes. Um, I remember I finished first in this uh, really big room. It wasn't a race, but I just thought, man, I was so hyper-focused on that assessment tool that it just, I don't even remember really taking it. I remember just being so dialed in and I remember seeing a pattern in the questions. There was a lot of things in there about forgetfulness, not finishing projects, um, feeling disorganized, scatterbrained, uh, losing things that I really identified with, but there were a lot of others that I didn't quite, you know, and that was the one about 
um, about interrupting others or, or not taking turns or, you know, they, they always have things about suicidality, uh, suicidal ideations, that sort of thing that I didn't quite jive with at that time. So I, I got the news a few, probably about a week or two later that I had uh, passed with flying colors. I would love to see that assessment tool and see where I fell, but I never followed back up on that. Um, we were then kind of brought back to, there was a group of four of us, four men, and we had to do a two hour class on how to treat ADHD without medication. And if at the end of that, we were still interested in medication, then they would, uh, bring a psychiatrist in and we would start to talk about what ADHD medication would involve. So, so I did, uh, I did that class. I still have the binder and it was really a whole lot about things that I already kind of knew as a therapist that were still a struggle for me. And, and it really does become trying to find a very structured, organized system and, uh, and really relying on things like list making and follow through. And it really just somewhat of accountability is what, what uh, one really needs. And so, but at the end of that, uh, I did say I wanted to have a, med a medication evaluation. I met with a psychiatrist and uh, shared with her the struggles that I had, the, the fears I had around medication, but that I really wanted to rule it out, if anything. Um, I was put on a very low dose of, it's called methylphenolate, which is a generic form of Ritalin. And so here I think, man, now I've gone full circle. I'm right back to that uh, little kid tied up to the playground equipment, the Mike Myers character I referred to earlier. And I felt like it should have just as well came with a leash and, uh, you know, um, give me a chocolate bar, smear it around my mouth. And here I go. I mean, that's my at first. That's kind of how I felt. And I remember taking the, the medication and I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, so the most of the ADHD medications are stimulants. And so I remember being part of a treatment team, a part of a brain treatment team with someone else who um, was struggling with ADHD and they had received these brain scans. And I remember being on a phone call um, as part of this treatment team. And the doctor at the time said that if you take the stimulant medication and you don't have ADHD, then it really is just a stimulant. I know that there's a lot of kids and uh, people in college and stuff that take these and they sell these um, stimulants medications. And that breaks my heart. But, but when someone takes the medication and they are dopamine deficient, when there are issues in the, their neurotransmitters of getting that dopamine to their brain, um, I understood now that my brain throughout my life is constantly just looking for what will give me the dopamine, what will give me the dopamine. And that's that look from this to this to this to this. And sometimes I'll find that thing that I will be able to hyper-focus on and I'll have a little bit of that dopamine rush for a while, but then it diminishes, it, it, it drops off, it disappears, and I'm on to the next thing. When that is part of what led to me not being able to complete all these different uh, programs that I was trying to do or these different things in my life. So back to the medication. So the medication uh, floods your brain with a little bit of dopamine and that is what then allows you to focus. So what I noticed immediately was, and I just described it this way, for me personally, I, I just say it just kind of felt like hope. It just kind of felt right. Now, if you point that hope or you point that feeling of, okay, I can do this toward the wrong thing, it's not like it miraculously causes my hand to write um, content for my website, or it's not like it forces me to then walk over and clean my desk. No, you still have to have the um, you have to have the uh, a list, uh, things in order, things that are a priority, things that you have to do next. You still have to have that in your life. But this just when it when it kind of locks in or kicks in, then I do really feel like, OK, I've got this. Here's this hope. And now when I am working on a task, then I, I just I'm, I'm just again, I keep using this phrase locked in, but I'm able to stay focused on it even through to the end. And what I started to realize was how much I missed that 
sense of accomplishment. I even go back to this uh, ultra running that I do. And I remember the first time I crossed the finish line of a, of a full marathon. It was the California International Marathon. I don't remember when it was, 2006 or seven or three or sometime. And I remember crossing that finish line. I remember having a, a, almost a, a breakdown, a, an emotional breakdown. I remember uh, I just cried. I hugged my wife. And I just remember feeling that sense of accomplishment. And that was part of what drew me back to running over and over and over again through another 50 marathons and through 100 ultra marathons was this just this feeling of accomplishment. And I didn't realize that I could have that feeling of accomplishment in a non-exercise um, environment. And so as I started really you know, embracing the the diagnosis and starting to look at, okay, I have to be more organized. And here's where things like acceptance and commitment therapy came in was if my goal was organization and I went a few days and I all of a sudden wasn't being organized or wasn't writing down things in a to-do list, then my brain wants to say, see, you can't even do that. You, you get the diagnosis, you got the medication and you still can't stay focused. And I remember, you know, as I was learning more about acceptance and commitment therapy at that point, that those are just stories that my brain was trying to fuse me to. Because if my brain can get me to buy into this, see, you'll never, you'll never get this down story, then I don't have to try. So it was just this perfect combination of mindfulness, acceptance and commitment therapy, and then dealing with my issues with ADHD. And so at that point, uh, I, that is when I started to get things done. That's when I was able to put the Path Back Recovery Program online. There was a whole lot that I had to do before that was ready for prime time. Just because I had the videos filmed, it didn't mean that it was ready to upload and, and there needed to be a whole lot of text and that sort of thing. So, and uh, by the way, man, I had an amazing intern named uh, Summer Hooper. And I just, anytime I think about the Path Back, I just want to tell her, thank you, Summer. But so at that time, I got that completed, um, you know, did some things, finished my website, uh, wrote a few things that had been behind. And I just started to get things accomplished. And oh my goodness, that felt so good. And once you start getting that momentum, you know, it's not like then I, all of a sudden I'm fixed, I'm cured. No, my, my brain is going a million miles an hour all the time. But it just started that sense of accomplishment started to help lift a little bit of that fog of the what's wrong with me story that my brain would tell me. So I look back at my own situation and uh, I'm 49 now. I'll be 50 in November. And I didn't really deal with this until I was 46, I believe. And so part of me wants to, to fuse to that story of, man, what, what would have life have been like if I would have if I would embrace this diagnosis early on in life? But guess what? That's a normal thought to have. I'm human. But it's not a productive thought for me right now. Well, all I can do is each and every day come into my office and just and just stay focused. It, it's helped me in other ways, too. It's helped me um, really stay focused in the moment, whether it's talking with my kids or my spouse or talking with other people. I feel like the mindfulness combo plus embracing this concept of ADHD has really helped change my whole perspective around being present and really learning how to, uh, to, to be more me. Are there times where I'm still going a million miles an hour? Absolutely. And one of the fascinating things about ADHD medication, at least the methylphenidate, the Ritalin, the Adderall, those kind of things, is it, it doesn't, you, I mean, my experience, and I can't find, you know, I find a lot of data that you don't build up a tolerance per se. And you can even take the weekends off, which I do often. Um, although I will tell you that if you take one, uh, if I take a, my medication before I'm um, attending like a church service or something, holy cow, I get so much more <laughs> than uh, I didn't realize how distracted I would, I was back in those days, pre, pre-medication. So it has really changed my world and it's helped me um, in this now have this uh, kind of, uh, perspective of that there wasn't anything wrong with me not being able to complete or fix these um, programs or do the work that I was getting so far behind on. That was, I mean, not that there wasn't anything wrong with me. That was my ADHD. And so um, it, it just really has helped me stay focused. Now, back to this article 
uh, signs and symptoms of ADHD in adults. And, and see, here I did. I just went on a tangent there. I didn't uh, plan on sh- sharing all that story so f- soon up in the story. So, um, But in adults, it often looks quite different than it does in children, and symptoms are unique for each individual. So here are the main, the kind of the main signs and symptoms. Trouble concentrating and staying focused. Attention deficit can be a misleading label. This is back to the article on helpguide.org. Adults with ADHD are able to focus on tasks they find stimulating or engaging. There's that thing. But they have difficulty staying focused on or attending to mundane tasks. I realized that there were things that had to do with getting my website up or starting to produce the podcast or um, the the kind of finer details. I was going to say the minutiae of getting the Path Back Online program up. That those were the things that I just could not stay engaged with. Um, honestly, before uh, th- those are things that the medication really helped me with. Um, the signs and symptoms. You may become easily distracted by irrelevant sights and sounds. So those were things, you know, I don't typically have that squirrel thing that uh, if you know that joke where somebody's talking and they, oh, there's a squirrel. Um, but I did find that I would bounce from one activity to another or I would become bored quickly. Boy, those were the hallmark signs for me. Um, just bouncing from one activity to another. And now I understand that my brain was just looking for dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. Um, Symptoms in this category are often overlooked because they are less outwardly disruptive than the ADHD symptoms of hyperactivity and impulsivity, but they can be every bit as troublesome. Again, helpguide.org talks about being easily distracted by low-priority activities or external events that others tend to ignore. Um, Here's another one. Having so many simultaneous thoughts that it's difficult to follow just one. There is my brain. Once I really embraced this and I started to talk about it with my kids in particular, and they're all all teenagers, um, a couple of them now in their early 20s. But I remember being at Disneyland once and uh, they, you know, they were almost uh, I was a a toy at times where they would say, all right, dad, do it. And I remember standing in line at uh, California Adventure, Grizzly Rapids, something like that. The line was incredibly long. And I remember one of my daughters just saying, all right, uh, do it, dad, do the thing with your brain. And I was like. Okay, you guys ready? You know, and then it was just, uh, I remember looking over and, you know, it's like seeing somebody wearing a poncho because they're going to get wet and then thinking of poncho and where'd the name poncho come from? And, you know, if we're going to get wet, then I'm going to be wet all day and I don't like having wet underwear. And because that chafes, and that makes me think of when I run. And when I run, there's, you know, sometimes chafing in one of the, uh, one of these hundred mile races I ran one time, um, I had this glide with me and I never pulled it out because I didn't think it was going to be that bad. And then I chafed the last 40 or 50 miles of the race. And then I started thinking about 40 and 50 miles and that's so far to run. And, you know, and then it made me think about, okay, sometimes when I pass a uh, a sign that says you're 50 miles away from a city, I think, okay, zombie apocalypse hits right now. Um, What I I could at least run there, but I often think, "Ah, but I'm not in good shoes. But I think, well, can I run 50 miles in dress shoes if I really had to? I mean, it's not necessarily about the shoes. And I start thinking about, you know, shoes. And then, uh, you know, when I was young, I used to say that I wore a 10 because I wanted to, I don't know why. I thought that would be cooler to have a bigger foot. But in reality, I wear a nine. I mean, there's so many... Welcome to the world of ADD. And my, my wife will often say, that must be exhausting. And, uh, but it, it's just the way it works and it's okay. So, but I mean, that's the brain often of what is going on. Um, just having these simultaneous thoughts that it can be difficult to follow just one. So some of the other signs and symptoms, difficulty paying attention or focusing, such as when reading or listening to others, uh, frequently daydreaming or zoning out without even realizing it, even in the middle of a conversation. So that's one, for example, I wouldn't find myself doing as well. Actually, if I really, I, I wouldn't zone out per se or daydream, but I would find myself just, somebody says something and a joke pops into my head or a movie line pops into my head or something that I want to say or, or a pun or, so that's more like what's happening with me. And I've really had to focus on, you know, maintaining eye contact and then turning back to present and, and being very, you know, listen to the person. And that might, you might be having this thought of, 
hey, how's that work in therapy? And that's the part where if I go back to this, uh, the way the ADHD brain works, therapy is what has kind of saved me, I feel like. Um, as a therapist, I, I think that this is just something I just feel so passionate about that I don't find my mind going a million miles an hour when I'm locked in with a client because I think that does give me enough of that dopamine rush to allow me to stay focused and present. Uh, some of the other signs and symptoms, struggling to complete tasks, even ones that seem simple. Oh, boy, that one was one, too. And then when you don't finish the simple task, then you even feel worse about yourself. Um, a tendency to overlook details leading to errors or incomplete work. A lot of those of us with ADHD, are we are so good at about 75% of a project. And then the last 25, it's just 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 finish it. Just put, you know, put a little tape on it and let's move on. Poor listening skills. For example, having a hard time remembering conversations and following directions. Um, and so here's ones where like poor listening skills, for example, that's one that I feel like if either it wasn't something that I necessarily struggle with as part of my own ADHD diagnosis, or I did find that a lot of these things turn into coping mechanisms. So, um, or not coping mechanisms, but you, you mask the symptoms by really hyper-focusing on a certain thing. So I remember feeling like, um, I could be a good listener. I remember that that was a tool that was an exercise that I could do. And so I'm grateful that I, I took that, uh, that on early in life. So the listening skills have not been as difficult as I, uh, as I had anticipated. Um, but here's one getting bored quickly and seeking out new stimulating experiences, man, that that's one as well. Finding yourself bored and wanting th to seek out the new stimulating experience. That is that part of ADHD that is that can lead to this impulsivity because you just want to just turn and do something that that is gives you this rush and it's not that so much I'm I'm saying what will give me the rush but it's when I find myself bored wanting to just uh, do or think or whatever the thing is that will just again get boost that dopamine and uh, and so you know there's the signs and symptoms there's also a lot around disorganization and forgetfulness says when you have adult ADHD, life often seems chaotic and out of control. Staying organized and on top of things can be extremely challenging, as is sorting out what information is relevant for the task at hand. Prioritizing your to-do list, boy, that can be a challenge. Keeping track of tasks and responsibilities and managing your time. Managing my time has been a struggle for me uh, as an adult. Uh, the last couple of years, it's been much better. But uh, that time management, because, again, your brain is just constantly going to the, will this give me a reward? Will this give me a reward? Um, so common symptoms of disorganization and forgetfulness then include poor organizational skills, office, home, desk, or cars, extremely messy and cluttered. Guilty. I'm one of those where my side of the bed is a mess. It still kind of is right now. I'll go and clean it or my closet. Oh, my goodness, my closet. My side of the closet was, was a nightmare, but uh, it's clean. I've been able to keep that one clean. My desk here at work is decent. Uh, needs a little work right now. I try to put everything away, though, before clients come. That's for sure. Um, but so poor organizational skills, a tendency to procrastinate, man, you know, there's procrastination and there's, I feel like ADHD procrastination. And that's just this. I'll do this first. I'll do this first. I'll do this first. So it's not even just putting off a task, but it's, it's all the things that I'll do that in my mind, I'm like, well, let me just do this and then I'll do that. Let me just do this and then I'll do that. And I remember, uh, being at a training once and this boy, did this resonate was this concept of where when sometimes people with ADHD, where they like to say that they work well under pressure or with deadlines, and that's because they've created this, uh, they've created their own source of a dopamine rush. So when there is a time, um, you know, when you're up against a deadline and a very firm deadline, 
that is when I was able to get the most done ever. I still remember. I remember way back in the day. I think I shared this on another podcast. But we were going to, we were flying to Japan. I was with a team from work uh, when I was working in the software industry. And we we had, a I think, an airport shuttle coming to get us because we were going down to San Francisco a couple hours away to fly out of San Francisco. So we had about an hour and 15 minutes. And I remember I don't think I've ever gotten more done in my life than that hour and 15 minutes because I just had such a hard deadline and I had a lot of things to do. And so I just, you know, then you think about it times that I wish I could just recreate that experience. And and I feel like that that is a little bit of what the, the medication does, at least for me, is it does almost mimic or create that experience of just this hyper focus because I've got this firm deadline and I got to get things done. Uh, chronic lateness. So, oh wait, there, I skipped trouble starting and finishing projects. The finishing, starting was never a problem for me. Finishing a project was a nightmare, which in that, that has really been something I've been able to overcome. Chronic lateness. And I think this is one of those where when, when ADHD kind of leaves one feeling a little bit out of control, there are things that they can do that help them feel more control. So for me, I happen to be the person that gets everywhere really early. My wife has a joke that if we have to be at the airport at, let's say seven in the morning, and we, we do this, we do the back things out math. So if we've got to be there at seven in the morning, then, uh, you know, it's uh, got to, gotta, we want to be there by 545 at security and we want 15 minutes to uh, go from parking. So that's 530 and it takes 30 minutes to get there. So that's 5 a.m. So let's leave at four in the morning, you know, <laughs> and then, and then if I, if we're awake in the morning, then uh, it's like, well, I might as well go now at two, you know, and so uh, overcompensated for the chronic lateness. Frequently forgetting appointments, commitments, and deadlines, that check, check, check. Um, and what happens there a lot of times with people with ADHD is they, they just feel like, oh, I'll remember that, I, so I don't need to write it down. And uh, boy, that that is a very common problem. When I'm dealing with clients a lot who have ADHD, there are a lot of late cancellations and that sort of thing. And the hard part is that it's frustrating as a therapist, but it, it, might, it breaks my heart as a therapist as well because the person wants desperately to get help, but then they their life is, is disorganized, so they'll often miss an appointment. Uh, constantly losing or misplacing things, keys, wallet, phone, documents, bills. And, you know, there's there's losing keys and then there's ADHD losing keys where it's just constantly, constantly. I highly recommend the device called the tile. You put this little tile on your keys and you can uh, play a little noise um, on the tile from your smartphone and uh, things like that. But and here's one. If I really go into the behavioral um, interventions that you can take to help with ADHD, a big one here are people that, you know, I remember when my wife put a little thing, key hanger up in the when you come in the garage. And so it, it, you can really get in a habit of just putting my keys there. And I mean, it sounds so simplistic, but uh, that takes a lot of work for somebody with ADHD. And but once you get that to be your you know, dug in neuropathway, then you don't lose your keys. I mean, every now and again, I still will. But man, what a great feeling that that one's been. Or here's a good one. Underestimating the time it will take to complete tasks. I have worked with client after client after client who, you know, in, in, in the world of being an attorney or a CPA or have had people that have been technical writers or and they have these deadlines and they constantly miss the deadline because they underestimate the time it will take to complete the task because they're not almost building in this uh, ADHD um, issues where their brain might wander otherwise. They might get hyper-focused on a task that doesn't seem as relevant to others for the project, but to that person, they've got all the reasons why that task is important to them. Um, you know, I, I've been trying my best to not to have the episodes go on too long. So I'm going to end right here. We're going to pick this up on impulsivity, talk about emotional difficulties, and we're going to talk about the hyperactivity part. Um, and then from that point, uh, we'll, we'll kind of get into a little bit of the what untreated ADHD looks like. 
Uh, and then I've got some some guides, some self-help guides, uh, some guidelines that I think can help. And we'll talk about that whole medication component again as well. So, hey, I appreciate you uh, joining me a little bit on the journey of, uh, of ADHD. If you feel like this might be you, I highly recommend you go to helpguide.org and look up uh, their, um, their information on ADHD. And nothing wrong with, you know, there's some online tools, some online assessments, but just be honest. Be honest with yourself when you take the assessments. Uh, I have worked with many, many, many clients over the years that I can even tell if I'm giving them just a, just a, a, a light assessment in a session where they just don't want to be that vulnerable and say, yeah, I have these problems. And you can tell, as a therapist, you can sit there, you can tell that somebody's hesitating. And oftentimes I'll say, hey, what's, what's the fear around telling me that this might be true? And, and a lot of people find that it's those insecurities that come up. So anyway, I, look at me going on tangent, digress. There's that ADHD. So we'll do a part two. And uh, I have to tell you, if you just heard a little transition there in audio quality, that is because I looked down and saw that uh, my recorder had just uh, put up uh, an error. So I had gone on with probably another five minutes of just pure gold. I'm sure it was. And only to find out that it wasn't recording. So until next time, I'll see you again on the virtual couch. Hey, thanks again for joining me on today's episode. Next week, we'll get into part two. Don't forget to check out betterhelp.com slash virtual couch for 10% off your first month's um, services, their counseling services. And if you have questions, if you have podcast ideas um, or just therapy questions in general or things you think would make a good episode or even a QA episode, go ahead and send them to contact at tonyoverbay.com. And that's the same email address that you can use if you're interested in having me come speak to a group near you. All right, until next week, have a wonderful week. Bus.